Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now give us a call at 314 314- Four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty with any kind of questions, comments, or concerns that you might have. Alex will be answering the phone. He just needs your first name and where you're calling from. And Mr. Keller, before you take off, yes, what's happening on your side of the river in your garden? In the garden? Oh, we just planted some more things. Went out yesterday and uh, bought some more flowers to put out. Wow, uh, so a few annuals now. We're kind of getting into that mode. Right. So we're still, you know. I, I kind of slowed down for a couple of weeks, and I told Sue last night, I said, it's it's June now, close enough, right? If you round up, we're in June, and uh, it's time to get this thing done. So we're going to we're gonna really go to work on it. Well, sounds perfect. Finish it up. Yeah, it's getting there. It's uh, We bought some new bird feeders as well. Whoa. Took them a good week to get used to them. You know, they're, they're kind of funny. They don't like just go right to the new ones. You got to kind of let them get used to it, and uh, they're finally getting to the point where they're getting on them now. So they're the normal so. shape and everything? They're different than they oh. were before. I didn't the, know if it know. was the, sort of the plastic they were made of or the smell or whatever. Could be. I just I think it's new and the smell, and so they kind of, oh, I, don't, I don't recognize <laughs> you. It's like a new restaurant comes to town. Oh, we're going to wait. Let's wait for the reviews to come in, you know? Uh, and uh, they're finally getting there. Right. So, yeah, but oh, great. it's still looking good. And boy, a lot of rain. Ooh. We found out where the rain, where the water goes, <laughs> washed away one section of the mulch. Oh, really? And so I just went ahead and, and moved it out of there. Right. And I'm going to put in rock down there and make it kind of a little uh, dry creek bed so that when it's not dry, it can be a creek bed. Yeah, it was yeah. brutal on Wednesday. Oh, my goodness. It was great. <laughs> and the lightning. Did you get a lot of lightning in your place? Yes. Wow. And uh, yesterday we had some rain and, you know, thunder mm-hmm. and all that other stuff. Yeah. And sun, I kept hoping for a rainbow, but didn't get any. Didn't get a dog on it. Maybe next time. Yes. All right. All right. Thanks. You bet. Folks, Saturday morning. Yes, this is what it is today. We get together and we have a discussion about what's going on in your yards. Side, front, back. Or how about that specialty garden space like Brian was talking about? Uh, it's a little bit sloped, so the mulch, whoop, slipped downhill. How about your house plants? I'm assuming you got them outside. Hopefully you didn't put them directly in the sun when you first moved them out. And uh, how to improve your soil. How about uh, should you be pruning on things? And are bugs starting to show up? 
about diseases and uh, use the information that I share with you. And uh, hopefully it'll help you make solid decisions on what you want to do in your landscape. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening to. Radio.com, maybe. And uh, another very important player in this game is Alex. He's producing. He answers the phone. He does everything. All I do is blah, 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 blah. He makes sure that blah, blah, blah turns into words and gets to you. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to take a look around. I call it a walk and talk. And you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. Homepage will have my email and phone number where I can be reached. This past week had two great consultations, walk and talks, one in Creve Corps and the other one in Maplewood and totally different kinds of homes and everything else, but each one equally spectacular. So both of them were great fun. Well, let's get moving. And the Good Gardening Stroll today is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. The church bell chimes only once. The sound of highway below. A beautiful, cool morning in the shadows. It was really kind of cool, but in the sun, it was so warm. A temporary sign reminds Gateway Arch National Park. Visit responsibly. Most park grounds are accessible, but services are limited. So I decided to walk up and around. There's budded daylilies, blooming oak leaf hydrangea. The redbud trees are still pushing out some new foliage. Some sweet pea family members are blooming. Probably the most spectacular thing I saw was the red crab apples, little small ones, but they were so bright and they really stood out. And those were above some ornamental grasses. There was birds and rabbits all over the place. They were welcoming the morning. And there's some signs that illustrate and tells a story of how an explosion in May of 1849 actually saved the city of St. Louis. And the original fire started in a steamboat called White Cloud. And it got into the city the way that because of the winds and stuff like that. But what happened is a volunteer fire captain, Thomas Tagge, what he did is he blew up a whole series of buildings, and that has turned into a fire break. And that prevented this whole city from getting destroyed. But unfortunately, you know, he'd made a great decision, but he was killed during this whole crazy thing. But this was one of the signs that were along the arch ground. So it's, I mean, just some really kind of interesting stuff. And as you wander up the hill and then head down the hill, the lawn and the sycamore trees, ornamental grasses, you can see the three flags, the U.S., Missouri, and city flag. They were gently blowing in the breeze. Another sign tells of commercial beginnings of the city of St. Louis. And though the river is high, 29.5 and rising, because there's an R there, Lenore K. Sullivan is dry. A tugboat pushes barges north. It was a very peaceful, beautiful morning in the National Gateway Arch National Park. And, uh, wow, there's a lot of stuff to see there. So if you want to just go and wander around and see some great plant materials, great views and vistas and everything else, why not head down to the Arch Browns? Mike Miller, KMR's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. 
Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, if you have like some hardscapes, some concrete walkways and things like that, um, you might be seeing a bunch of little red dots running all over the place. What these are, the red clover mites. And if you want to know if these are red clover mites and you have them running all over these hardscapes and sidewalks and things like that, just you know, take your finger and squash one. They leave a, a red streak wherever you squash them. Now, they are not like spider mites. They don't, do, they don't virtually kind of kill the plant material. They can damage some plant material, but uh, they don't build the webbing or anything. They're mainly in the warm, sunny areas outdoors. They can come into your home, but uh, they're not really harmful to people, pets, or furniture. So, uh, and the weird thing about these red clover mites I saw some the other day, and uh, you know, on our driveway, and uh, so I thought, hmm. But I found out something that I hadn't known before. There are only females of red clover mites, so there's no mating needed. There's no may no males whatsoever, and so they don't need their eggs fertilized. So that's why there can be huge numbers of them. And the rain washes them away, you know, for a sh- for a period of time. But for the most part. If you have a history of them, they'll probably be back. So, but they don't. They do damage plant material, but not enough to really be overly concerned with. And anything that's a spider, anything that's a mite, M I T E S, or mites, it is in the spider family. Regular insecticides will not kill them. So you have to get a mite aside. And let's head to the phones and let's go over to Barb's yard. Hi, Barb. Hello. Hi. Hi, Mike. Um, thank you. Uh, I have several clematis, and they're all looking pretty good, except for my old purple clematis doesn't look very good this year. The blooms are very sparse. Um, I have never cut it down to the ground. Would it be revived if I did cut it down this fall? Not necessarily. I mean, you could cut it. I wouldn't cut it all back. Let's put it all. Let's put it that way. However many stems are coming up out of the ground, maybe cut half those down and see what happens. But it may be just an age factor as much as anything else because most of the clematis throughout the entire metropolitan area are spectacular. And if this is an old uh, one, that might just be you know age as much as anything. Oh, so they, they have a life cycle. <laughs> Everything, every plant material does oh. for sure. Okay. All right. So just like um, cut down some of the old, or cut down about half of the blooms, uh, half of the stems coming up. And when do I do that? Uh, I leave it, leave it, you know, all the way through summertime and through early fall because you want to have as many leaves as possible because the leaves are going to make the plant healthy just generally because they use the nutrients and moisture coming up from the root system. With sunlight to make chlorophyll, that's plant food, so it's you know overall healthy. Also, clematis like an alkaline soil, like lilacs do. So if the you know hopefully the soil pH hasn't changed that much or anything else, but that's one of the factors. If anybody is planting any clematis, you should add some lime to that soil area. Oh, but add some uh, to my clematis now, the purple one? Uh, If it's historically been in good shape, I would say you could do a little bit, but if you have mulch, pull the mulch back, put a a small amount of lime there. It's probably not needed, but uh, psychologically it will help you. Okay. Thanks for your help. Appreciate your show. Well, thanks for having me on your show. Let's head out to St. Charles and go into Matt's yard. Hi, Matt. 
Hi, Mike. Hey, I got a question. Um, I'm going to plant a tree at some point. Uh, I know that you say leave 20% of the root ball above the, the ground surface, and then you put mulch around the, the, the root ball. What if I don't put mulch? Am I asking for problems leaving the root ball exposed? Uh, basically, the mulch just kind of insulates it. Yeah, so potentially it would be problematic, but, uh, you know, you don't necessarily have to put the mulch. It's, a, you know, it's a somewhat cosmetic, but also it's also to help, you know, keep moisture retention and things like that for the for the root system, for the crown. The crown basically is where the trunk and the root system meet, and that's what's going to be kind of exposed. So I would say, you know, you could you don't have to do it, but it's advisable if you do. All right. All right. Well, that's good information. I thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Yeah, mulch is something that's, you know, and it's, you know, it should be mulch that's, you know, composted, that's older, not just, you know, like, let's say, whoever comes out and cuts plant material off power lines and they have all these chips, don't use that kind of stuff. So it's got to be used, use okay. good stuff or else you could be causing more problems than good. Use the good stuff. All right. right. Thank you. My pleasure. And, yeah, I mean, what happens is if you use, let's say, fresh clippings or, you know, they've shredded it or they ground the stump out and it's solid, it's wood. But when, let's say, raw wood that hasn't been composted is put on top of plant material or around plant material, it actually damages, causes damage in several different ways. It binds up nutrients it also doesn't allow the moisture retention to be what it should be. And then consequently, it can cause the decline of the plant material. So let's head south from St. Charles into Arnold and go into Bob's yard. Hi, Bob. Hey, Mike. Got a question. I got some irises, and I, they're thick and tall. Can I cut them back after they bloom? Uh, don't, don't cut the foliage. Cut the flower off if you want to. But well, now we, we got... They're so thick. We got so many uh, maple trees growing out of them. We can't find them all. We wanted to cut them back a little bit where we can get in there to clean them out. Well, you want the you know the foliage to stay as long as possible, just like I was talking about. Those leaves make it so they're healthy for next year. So if you start yeah. cutting the foliage off, then you may be reducing the healthiness for the you know future. But yeah, I mean the, this year the maple trees were prolific as far as the amount of maple squirts they produced. It doesn't matter oh, I what kind of maple. And they are. I got a bumper over. crop. Yeah. Uh, and one more thing, fungicide on Doiza. Can it preventive or wait till I get it? No, you should do it. If you've had a history of, you know, let's say fungus on your Zoiza, start doing the application before you see it. Because once yeah. it's there, the fungicides basically kind of arrest the advancement, but it does, it's not really a good preventative type thing. Preventative no. is starting before you see it and then, it, you know, probably once a month for two months or three months in a row, and that should be adequate. Okie dokie. So I can't cut my back where I can get in there to clean the trees out, huh? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Okie dokie then, Mike. Uh, why, can I, uh, when I put that fungicide down, can I put fertilizer on it or should I wait a couple of weeks? No, no. Fertilizer and fungicides, you know, they don't oppose each other. So you can do them both so at can... the same time. All right, then. Thank you, Mike. Yep. And just realize that, uh, you know, when you're putting a fungicide down, if possible, you know, kind of walk backwards. So, in other words, you're not walking through the fungicide because if you spray ahead of yourself and you start walking where you've sprayed, 
then your shoes are, you know, could pick up some of the fungicide and cause, let's say, holes in the fungicide, let's say, screen or surface or whatever you're trying to create with the fungicide. Okie dokie, then. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go over to Greg's yard. Hi, Greg. Hi, Mike. Hey, um, can you hear me? Yes. Okay, I have two tree questions for you. Uh, in the Baldwin area, uh, we've got this large sycamore, and it's losing leaves badly. Uh, it came out pretty good to begin with, and then when the leaves look fairly still immature, it's losing them like crazy. Yeah. Is there something going on with sycamores? Not that I know of. I, you know, I've looked online and everything else. I haven't really checked the botanical garden yet, but I'll tell you what. All the larger you know, sycamores throughout the metropolitan area, I should say, throughout the city are losing leaves, have lost a lot of leaves. And yet I was down at the arch grounds you know, earlier today, and they have a lot of young sycamores that they use to replace all those ash trees because of emerald ash borer and other problems. But none of those you know, sycamores are losing foliage. So I think it's just the older trees that are. Maybe they pushed out too many leaves. But, I mean, some of the trees are really, you know, sycamores are really looking kind of scary as far yeah. as the amount of leaves they're losing. Yeah, kind of scarce. My, my other question is this. Um, we've got two ash trees, and we've treated them for years with the Bayer product for, for the emerald ash borers. Mm-hmm. This year they came out like gangbusters. I mean, they haven't come out this good in years, and they look wonderful. Is, is the emerald ash borer still that much of a concern? It's always going to be a concern, but uh, it's not to say that you will not get it, but it's not, to, I mean, it's not, let's say, in the news like it was for a couple of years. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. Yeah. Enjoy your show. Well, thank you. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell you, I mean, the, the all the trees came out spectacular this year. So uh, what you've experienced with your ash trees is what was actually going on. So. Okay, great. Thank you so yeah. much. And, yeah, it's an unfortunate thing with the sycamores. I can't, you know, I've just kind of done some quick research, but I have not specifically gone to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and say what's going on with the sycamores. So I should have probably done that. But it's amazing how many leaves have fallen off the sycamores. And it's always, you know, like I said, it's the older, mature ones. We live across the street from Christie Park. And Christie Park is lined street tree-wise on this park side with sycamores. And, I mean, the amount of leaves, it wasn't quite like fall, but it was a considerable amount. So, so uh, I mean, what's going on? I don't know of any specific disease. I haven't heard of anything. There wasn't, hasn't been anything in the news or anything else. But if you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, we've got some phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head up to Overland and into Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Hi. I have a problem with my irises. I've got a very large um, row of them. And uh, they've been very proficient and very, they always had beautiful uh, blooms, but I have no blooms at all on them this year. The, the, the greenery looks great, the, the leaves and everything, but there's not a single blossom on any of the plants. 
Well, it sounds like they're old. Yes. So basically, Iris, as they get to a certain age, I'm you know I'm talking basically the traditional flag type Iris, not the right. uh, you know the right. Japanese not Iris the or anything. Else. And you know you'll get the fans, but as far as flowering goes, you may never get another flower off that group again. So would it be wise to remove all of them and just try and plant something else in there for a while? Maybe you could, or you could just take part of them out. And because this has been a question that's come up, you know, since I've been doing the show uh, several times. But there was a caller that called one time and said she did, she had s- multiple years of no blooms on her iris, and then they started blooming again. And really? so, I, you know, if you want to leave them and just enjoy the foliage, that's fine, and see if that could happen. Or take some of them out and replant them with new iris tubers or some other different, you know, a different kind of plant that you might want to grow in there. Okay. Thank you very much. I appreciate the help. Certainly. My pleasure. And, uh, I mean, you can put some annuals in there. You could put the, you know, perennials in there with the iris. But uh, for the most part, you know, they, you know, they, they probably just don't have the ability to flower anymore. Let's head out to St. Charles and go into Joe's yard. Hi, Joe. Yes, good morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. I have a couple of questions. Um, Is this a bad time or a good time to go ahead and trim uh, holly bushes and boxwoods? I don't want to prune any kind of broadleaf evergreen, which they are, going into summertime because you're going to get sunburn on them. Okay. What about uh, trimming branches on trees like a pin oak, maple, and ash? The ash trees and oak trees, I wouldn't do this time of year, but the maple tree, yes. Okay. When's the best time to trim branches on trees then? Uh, for the most part, the maples, birches, and beech trees, they they prefer to be pruned in the summertime. The rest of them want to be pruned ba- after, let's say, the foliage starts falling off in the fall before the new growth begins in the spring. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then my final question has to do with uh, silver leaf maple. I've got these tiny uh, little red seeds on the leaves. Uh, is that uh, indicative of some uh, disease? No, not really. I mean, uh, generally, it's on the leaves or it's on the seeds. It's on the leaves themselves. Yeah. So that's a, you know that's you know it is. Uh, I forget exactly what it's called, of, but uh, it's nothing that's really going to be problematic for the most part. Okay. Is that would that possibly transfer over to the other trees in my yard? No. It's basically they're pretty much you know the, the maples are going to be the ones that are impacted by that. I got it. Okay. Okay, Mike, that's it. Thank you. Have a great day. Stay safe. <laughs> yes, same to you. And now let's head over to Mike Yard. Hi, Mike. Yes, good morning, Mike. I've got a, a newly purchased and planted uh, magnolia tree. It's only about three to four feet tall. It's one of the little girl hybrids. Mm-hmm. Yesterday I noticed some of the uh, dark brown spots, black spots on several of the leaves. And... Uh, did a little research on it and maybe a fungicide or something. I, uh, what what could I prevent that or do to that? Basically, I just leave it alone. Okay. And, you know, next year, since you've had it happen this year, before the foliage, just as the foliage is starting to come out in the springtime, maybe apply a fungicide at that time. Then two to three weeks later, another application of a fungicide but beyond that, to, just to put a fungicide on this time of year is not going to change anything at all for the most part. 
Okay, should I pull off or cut off any of those leaves? or just No, just leave them alone because it's, the majority of the leaf is still green. So right. Consequently, exactly. that's still making, you know, chlorophyll, which is food for the plant material. Okay. And it is, you know, it is, like I said, it's only three to four feet tall, you know, newly planted. And right. it's, it looks like there are new leaves coming out and that new foliage coming out. So, okay. So, yeah, you know, just don't worry too much about it. Okay, great. Thanks, Mike. Certainly. And now let's go to Paul's yard. Hi, Paul. Uh, hi, Mike. Uh, I have a question about peonies. Can I uh, cut them back after the flowers and, you know, fell over? No. Basically, cut the flower, you know, where the flowers okay. were. Cut that off, but leave the foliage because, you're again, you're going to build up the strength for next year by doing that. Right. Okay. And um, how late can I cut? Or uh, divide hostas. As far as the, I wouldn't do it going into summertime. I'd either do it in the fall when they you know start to let's say go downhill a little bit. So like mid to late September, divide them okay. at that time, or early spring as soon as they start coming up out of the ground. My okay. tendency is to be uh, with perennials is to do it in the fall, so they can the divisions can. The, the ground is warm. They can push out new root systems to get established, and then they get to go to sleep for the winter time. Okay. Cool. Thank you. All right. Mm, bye bye. And let's Maryville, Illinois. That's where Sue lives. Hi, Sue. Hi. How are you this morning? Very good. I'm calling about the iris. The lady called a few minutes ago with a question because hers had not been blooming. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to let you know. Um, I have a specific iris that I took from my grandmother's garden when she passed away in 1977. I've moved eight times, and I've moved that iris that many times. Um, about three or four years ago, I put compost in my iris bed when I thinned them out, mm -hmm. and I had two years. The first year, I had no blooms at all. The second year, I only had three blooms. This year, I had so many blooms you cannot even imagine. That iris that I've moved is 43 years old. And they did amazing this year. So I just wanted to tell that lady not to give up because I've had, you know, I've got an old iris that I just have moved so many times and it still keeps going, although I did have those two years. I was thinking that maybe when I put the compost in the iris bed, maybe it was too hot for the iris that year or something. But anyway, that's that's my tip. Great. Well, thanks. Okay. Appreciate your insight. Yeah, I mean, that's why I told her, don't get rid of all of them by any means. Just, you know, kind of keep your fingers crossed, and especially if they have a history for you. Let's go now to Brennan. Hi, Brennan. Hi, Mike. I had a, a couple of questions for you. I, I planted some little Henry's uh, a couple, I don't know, three or four years ago, and a uh, maple tree is kind of taking over the area. And as you get closer to the maple tree, the little Henry's are definitely thinning out and a little bit more stressed. So one, um, you know, where where should I move those two? And then I also have a maple that's kind of uh, been stressed out over the past couple of years. It's not dead at the top, but it's some dead branches kind of throughout the tree, and then the uh, the roots, you know, are coming out of the ground around the tree pretty aggressively as well. 
Well, surface rooting is just related to our soil types and things like that. And maples are generally surface rooted anyway. So just okay. as they age, the surface, you know, the amount of the roots are going to get bigger. So consequently, the growth is not just going downward. It's getting wide, you know, wider or rounder or whatever. And that's why they come up to the surface. And as okay. far as, you know, your little Henry's, you got to get them away from the maples. The maples are really aggressive as far as their root systems go. And that's going to cause problems, and it's just going to get worse and worse and worse for them. Um, what type of area would you suggest? Do they like full sun? or? Yeah, full sun is going to be the ideal circumstance. Okay, and then back to that maple, with it being a little bit stressed in the uh, you know the upper portion of the tree, is with fertilizing it or just maybe watering it, it's, it's 12 years old. Uh, it's, it's still fairly young. I would say not necessarily fertilizing, but I do something called deep root feeding. So sometime okay. after the foliage falls off, you know, auger holes with an electric drill and an earth auger drill bit and go about six-inch deep holes and backfill those holes with compost. So in other words, you're going to feed the soil, not try to feed the plant, because if it doesn't have healthy soil, putting fertilizer down, is, it may cosmetically change the tree a little bit, but it's not going to change the overall health or longevity factor, and especially since this tree is only 12 years old. Okay, yeah, it's heavy clay and heavy rock. Right. So, Okay, super. Thank you. Yep. Have a good day. Same. Mike Miller, KNY's Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Uh, in my yard, sweet alyssum has been blooming for a couple weeks now. The coneflowers are really starting to explode. I have a big bed of coneflowers behind the garage, between the garage and the alley, and they are really starting to show off you know, some really good color. Black-eyed Susans are not showing up yet, so I don't know what's going on with that. And finally, it's taken a while, but uh, my elephant ears, cannas, and all that other, you know, bulby stuff have uh, started to push up out of the containers that I have them growing in. So finally, my yard is waking up. But sweet alyssum, it was nice to see again. I love that stuff. And uh, I keep looking. I constantly, you know, even though it self-seeds, Every year I buy a couple packs of seed and, you know, add it to the, to the area. And one section of my yard, in between the sidewalk and street, it's about four feet wide. It's about oh, 10 or 12 or 15 feet long. I have never had successful zoysia in there. I've tried sodding. I've tried to replug it in various areas. But uh, when you dig down there a little bit, there's a maple tree really close by, and it's really kind of almost solid maple roots. So I'm going, I'm converting this space, getting rid of the zoysia, and I've got uh, sweet alyssum in there. I've got some uh, yellow creeping jenny. I've got some sedum acre in there. So I'm going through the whole process of converting a lawn area to ground covers and some, you know, nice looking, I might even stick some perennials in there. So that's a project that I'm working on right now. So let's head to Oakville and go into Linda, into Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Good Hi. morning. Um, I wanted to ask a question about um, magnolia tree in my son's yard in the city. It's not the type with shiny leaves. It's I don't know exactly what the variety is, but he wanted to know when he could trim that. 
Basically, with a magnolia, if it's a magnolia that blooms in the springtime, you should prune it, you know, within a month or two after, if, you know, flowers in the spring. If it's a magnolia... Oh, so you could do it right now. Yeah. You get better it, get it, it done just quick. Bloomed, so, yeah. And so, if it's one that blooms in the summertime, you got to, again, wait until they finish blooming. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's the springtime. Okay. And then also, I just wanted to tell everybody, I, I'm 67 years old, and... Got up on a ladder. It was very, very safe, though, and had all the equipment on. But I sprayed my sweet gum tree with the Florel, and I didn't think it worked because there's like a minute in time when you can spray those what they call blooms, right. but they all fell off. Great. I thought, oh, I messed this up. I didn't, you know, you did it just with a regular sprayer you attached with the hose and add the water. And... The first one didn't work too well. It looked like it was just filling, overfilling with water, so I tried a different one. But every one, almost every one of the balls, you know, the immature balls just mm-hmm. fell down to the ground, and then we just mowed them, you know, mowed over them because right. they were soft. And then one more thing, um, the lady with the iris, too, I'm having the same problem. I have very few blooms, and I'm going to try to thin mine out. But a lady at our church gave us, gave me some irises to plant at church, and I planted them. I thought, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, these must have all been old or whatever. Probably about four or five years ago, this is the first year that they bloomed. And they were not in clumps up there. I just put, like, one iris here, there, and, you know, different spots. But Mm -hmm. it took about five years for them, and they bloomed. Right. So it is a long-term commitment, but they're worth it. They're so beautiful. So it just depends upon how big the tuber is. That's, you know, that's going to help determine how long you're going to have to wait to get the flowering. So those were probably Mm -hmm. pretty small tubers. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for the show. I love our show. Well, thank you. And now let's... Let's head over to Grace, and she lives in South County. Hi, Grace. Good morning. How are you? Very good. Um, I have a question about amaryllis. Okay. I have several, and um, one of them I took to a different location, and um, it was, um, you know, about 65 degrees or so, and it bloomed. But the ones I had here at home were in a sunroom that gets about 60 in the summer. I I let them dry last fall, Mm -hmm. or last summer, August, and then I started watering them, and then they came out. But the ones in the in the sunroom never bloomed. The one in the other location bloomed. So, I mean, I touched the bulbs. They were solid. So now I still have beautiful green leaves, but no flowers. Well, what? let the foliage stay, you know, and then uh, basically just cut the foliage off. Wait until probably September or so, cut the foliage off. Then you should have flowers for, you know, later in the season. Okay, and then I heard what you said about you planting your elephant ears. I planted some caladium, mm-hmm. and they're, I have planted, it's been a good two weeks, I think, and they still haven't come out of the ground. I mean, I hope the squirrels haven't taken them, but, I mean, they are still hope that they can come out. They're brand-new bulbs. I just bought them. Yeah, they, you know, I wouldn't worry too much. Okay, all right. Thank you very much. My pleasure. Okay, bye-bye. And now let's head over to Mary's yard. Hi, Mary. Hi, Mike. Hey, thanks ahead of time for your answer. I plant. I got some uh, hostas that a friend divided, and I ha- oh, the only I have only a little bit of green around my condo, which is a north-facing building, and it's under a big overhang. There's no direct light. There is sunlight, but it's you know just from the surrounding. And they were doing, I thought, fine, and now they just all seem to be curling under the leaves. And I don't know if I'm watering them too much or watering them not enough. 
and and or maybe they just aren't getting enough sun and I was wrong about the shade factor. What do you suggest about hostas? Basically, hostas don't need any kind of sun whatsoever. That's what I thought. So they, I mean, they like, you know, solid shade. They can handle it. And when did you plant them? About a month ago. Okay, so probably the root system's not established enough. So even though they were able to push out the foliage, they just don't have enough root system to uptake nutrients and moisture to keep the leaves healthy. I just more or less leave them alone. Okay, so how often should I? Uh, I'm not sure how much water they get because they're under an overhang. And, and how much should I water them? Please? I would say just make sure that they get about an inch of water every ten days or so. Don't overwater them because you can drown them, and especially Maybe newly installed things. You want, you know, when they're newly installed for the first two weeks or so, you want to keep them a little bit damp and moist so they don't dehydrate. But after that, uh-huh. you know, you know, you're better off to cut back on the watering as opposed to doing too much watering. So if, they, if the leaves are all curling under, they I mean they're still green, but they're you know they're just, they look like they're going to die at any moment. I think. And is that what does that mean possibly? Uh, probably. Who knows? But it's I think it's just dehydration. But uncurl the leaf and look on the underside and see if you can find anything that may be causing a problem. But hosts are pretty much, other than slugs and snails, they're pretty much free of insect problems. But they you're saying they might be dehydrated, even though. Um, I should only water every week or something. Yeah. I don't, I'm kind of just, huh? I thought I was watering them enough. I I, I don't know. I'm confused because I and I got a black thumbs and I, I'm so always so worried about them. It's the first year the rabbits haven't eaten them. I'm just so excited, but yet now they're curling under. Yeah, rabbits generally don't eat you know hostas because they're a little bit too chewy, too fibrous. But you know, you just want to make sure that. You know, just go out there. I'm assuming you have mulch on the bed space and things like that. Just put your hand down there, and if it feels a little bit damp and cool, because it probably will, don't do additional watering. Again, overwatering is the worst thing you can possibly do, and especially for something that's a division that's been newly installed. Okay. I'll give it a shot. Thanks a lot. Yeah, so just kind of, you know, I know it's a little bit depressing, but uh, just kind of leave them alone. What else can I put in total shade? I'm just like frantic to get some greenery, but I just don't know what to, to plant, and I don't have much experience, success with gardening. But is there any other plant or you know perennial that would do well in shade? Well, any of the is ferns, like Japanese painted fern, would work. The coral bells will work. There's lots of different things that will you know grow in full shade. I mean, Solomon seal, Columbine. There's lot, you know, it's just what you want from a foliage standpoint as far as giving you some color. So that's yeah. that's what you got to look at. Okay. Thanks for your help and for your program. Sure. Bye-bye. And if you want a ground cover there that looks, you know, that could fill, yeah. in, fill in the space, look at snow on the mountain. It's Aegeopodium. That would be one that would, you know, fill in the space that the hosses can grow easily with. Okay, snow on the mountain. Okay. Right. And it's Aegeopodium as a genus. How, how do you spell it? A E G O P O D I U M. Oh, thanks, those Greeks. Okay. A E G Y. Is that what you said? A G E O P O D I U M. Got it. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Yep. If That's going to be about it for this hour. So, Marianne, you're going to have to hold on. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. I will see you after the news. 
KMOX and your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome to the Garden Hotline Tip of the Trial Hour. I'll be giving it shortly, but right now you can call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 with your ideas, your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. And Mr. Kelly... I see you're working, yes. though. Uh, you grew up in North County, didn't you? Yes, I did. Now, how in the world, I know you love your home where mm-hmm. it is. How did you find a place where it is? Well, when we moved back, my first wife and I uh, and came back in 1997, she wanted to find a place in the country. She always said, I want to, you know, you could work in the city, that's fine, but I want to live in the country. And ah. she didn't think that was possible in St. Louis because right. she was from Kansas City. And so we went looking, and we looked all over the place, and we found this place that was on five acres, and uh, down near Waterloo was beautiful. So we bought it, and I've been there 22 years now. Wow. Yeah, and now my wife, Sue, loves it, too. She We sit on the porch, and, you know, she loves the garden. We watch the birds all the time, and... And, uh, and just so the settings, you know, I'm sure it's super quiet and everything. It's really quiet, yes. And it's, you know, the house isn't, believe me, nothing special right. at all. Without the back porch, we wouldn't be there. But you got the back porch and the five acres, the horse and the peacock, and it's like, okay, right. this is good for now, you know. And and we're old enough now; we own it, and so we just it's where we are for who knows how long. But yeah, sounds it, it, great. Yeah, yeah, good story. I just was curious how you you know somebody from that far north you know ended up that far south. Yeah. Well, we went way west. Oh, did you? <laughs> well, Kansas City. Oh, and then when we came back, we we went down there. So yeah, well, great, good yeah. story. Well, thank you. And folks, by the way, thanks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, the ups and downs and cares for, annuals, bulbs. Your t- I finally cut the last of my daffodil foliage off. It was just uh, you know, kind of surprising it lasted so long as far as staying green. Your edibles, as I said before, I uh, with my daffodils, I'm growing them in pots and tulips too. I threw some uh, lettuce seed. In with them, and uh, <laughs> the lettuce is still growing, even though the bulbs you know, foliage has been cut off. Ground covers, hot, you know, house plants, lawns, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, water gardens, vines, and I'll share my thoughts. But please remember, my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take, but strictly offered for you to consider. Across the big board is Alex. He's answering the phone right now, and he's producing. So when you call, he just needs your first name and where you're calling from. During the week, I spend my time uh, doing landscape consulting, which I call a walk and talk. And I can come to your home. We can talk about aesthetic problems, problem solving with the plant material or whatever it happens to be. I'll keep my eyes open. You can have a list. We'll go down your list. But also, I'll keep, you know, I'll keep in mind, you know, maybe something that you haven't considered would impact your landscape that you haven't thought of. So you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, and the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is listed. And uh, again, 314, no, that's the call. Ooh, we still got one or two lines open. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Walk and Talk after the show today will be in Marlboro, and that's kind of Shrewsbury, Marlboro, Webster Groves, they kind of all butt into each other. And the tip of the trowel this week goes out to, it's a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me, and it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. I have missed the Botanical Garden so much, and the Botanical Garden is finally, they plan to reopen to the public 
on June 16th. So that's still several weeks away. And uh, they just want to make sure that everything's ready, healthy, you know, for staff and everybody else. So the staff has been there working, I'm sure. And they're delighted to, you know, Peter Weiss Jackson, he's a director, and he recognizes the garden's importance for uh, outdoor spaces as indispensable for public and community healing. So they want to get it open as soon as possible, but they want to make sure that everything is together. The interesting thing is, though, the garden will open, but for the most part, it is outside, you know, basically strolling, walking, and everything else. Anything like the Sachs Museum, Child Grove House, the Climatron, the Children's Garden, anything that's, you know, or water areas, play areas, and those kind of things are still going to be, you know, uh, shut off, closed off. Protect, you know, protective face coverings will be required for all guests nine years of age or older, and that's in accordance with St. Louis City Public Health Guidelines. So the garden will be open starting June 16th, and I welcome that. I mean, it's just amazing. Tickets are going to be available, and you're going to have to have tickets. You can't just walk in. So 60-minute time slots online or by phone, no walk-up or day on of on-site purchases. So it's still going to be very restrictive, but at least you're going to have the opportunity to stroll through one of the best botanical gardens in the entire world. So June 16th, uh, you can go to the website, mobot.org, and get more information. So the tip of the trial goes out to the botanical garden, who's working as best they can to get the grounds ready and get everything ready to start having guests in June 16th. So Mike Miller, KMR. Well, why don't we take a call first? Well, let's go to Mary Ann. Hi, Mary Ann. Yes. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I have uh, a question about my hydrangeas, mm-hmm. which I have a bunch of them in my yard, and I've had them for, I'm going to say, over 25 years. And uh, they used to just bloom like crazy big blue flowers. They were great. And then I went through a little period of, oh, I don't know where it was a drought time or, you know, there was an early frost and they kind of didn't bloom too much. And now I'm looking at them and they look healthy and green, but they only have a, some, some of the bushes have no flowers popping out and very few flowers on the other bushes. So I'm hearing these other ladies talking about their old irises. Right. Do, do you think that these plants are just too old? Yes, I do. And okay. <laughs> I mean, this is a special hybrid. This is not, I mean, if it was a blue one, you know, blah, 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 it was hybridized, not necessarily to have a life of decades and decades and decades. But if you've had them for 25 years, you've been very lucky to have, you know, performance that was adequate. But they're going to get to the point where they just kind of lose the ability to flower. And that's what's happened. Oh, well, let me ask you this then. You know, um, I, I'm, I'm kind of lazy about it. I just leave them alone, you know. Sure. Um, and they send out the, you know, the lower branches sort of reroot. Right. And, uh, it, okay, if I, you know, cut that off and replant it, is that a new plant then? Or is that still as old as the original plant <laughs> that it came from? You know what I'm saying? Sure. 
Yeah, well, it's going to be difficult to, you know, you can't just take a cutting and stick it in the ground and grow it. You're going to have to have rooting hormone. you got to grow it in a pot for oh, a couple no, of years. Oh, no, I do. Okay. I do. I just cut them off, and I put them in another place in my yard, and they grow. Yeah. I give them to other people. Oh, but boy. I, But is that, see, is that then a new plant, or that's still part of the old DNA you know, well, if you've the, already done it, have any of the ones that you've taken cuttings from bloomed? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Then, yeah, they have. Okay. But so. they're not blooming this year, and they're. <laughs> <laughs> I don't. How about um, should I? I never fertilize them. Should I do some phosphate or something? No, not just phosphate. Get in a fertilizer that has, uh, you know, let's say sulfur and iron because it wants an acid-based fertilizer. So that's more okay. important than, you, you know, what you're trying to do is just force flowering. You want to have the overall health, you know, more so than anything else. And if they okay, look healthy, so- the leaves are full size and everything else, you can give it a try and see what's going to happen. But I still think okay. it's probably an age factor more so than anything. Yeah. Now, I also have a lot of oak trees, and I kind of had the impression that the oak trees sort of acidify the soil. Is that the leaves that drop? Is that... Am well, I wrong mulch, about that? You know, if you mulch them with a mower and everything else, that will help. But still, to get it into the ground, they, you know, it's just uh, yeah. you got to get the chemicals. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. I appreciate all your information. Certainly. My pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones, and we're headed to Connie's yard. Hi, Connie. Hi, Mike. I've got a suggestion for that lady that had the problem with the hostas under the overhang. Mm -hmm. I have a ground cover plant that is just gorgeous. It's called lamium or dead nettle, right? and it loves dry shade. It comes in several different varieties um, with colorful leaves. Mine is almost a silver and green leaf with clusters of pink flowers right now. It seems to take a couple years to really get established and start spreading, but it does seem to be deer and rabbit resistant. I thought I'd just throw that suggestion out there. Yeah, that is a good ground cover. There's no getting around it. So, yeah, lamium, and it's in the mint family, so if you feel the stems are square. Yes. Thank you, Mike. Yep. My pleasure. So that would be a good option for dry shade. And let's go to John's yard in South County. Hi, John. John, are you there? Oh, hi. Oh, hi, Mike. This is John, South County. Okay. Yeah, I have a prairie fire crabapple tree that's 13 years old. And for the first time we noticed this year, uh, there's a scale on it. It starts out green, and then it kind of turns to gray. And uh, my wife and I take walks, and we notice a lot of trees are like that this year. Is there something going on that uh, we should be aware of? Uh, Are you sure it's scale? It's not a lichen? Well, it it looks like a scale. It's all over the tree, uh, you know, and, uh, well, uh, you know, you know sc- I mean, and there's other trees, too. I, I believe I call it a scale. Well, scale is like a little bitty individual insect that's, you know, it's like a hard shell over the top of a kind of like a fingernail type thing, but they're no. only about a quarter inch. Oh, yeah, yeah, they're not very... Very thick. Uh, it also has very few leaves on it. Ooh, that's not good. Well, yeah, basically, yeah. 
I mean, uh, what you should do is scale has to be suffocated. So you have to use like a dormant oil. So next year, just leave it alone. If you want to use a summer weight oil and just try it on a couple branches, it won't cause the scale to fall off, but mm-hmm. it will suffocate them. You can use a summer weight, you know, horticultural oil now, you know, in the heat of the summertime. But I'd use a dormant oil around Valentine's Day and spray the entire tree. Oh. Of the stems and everything else to try to suffocate it, but scale doesn't generally like just all of a sudden explode as far as numbers go. They just don't have that capability or ability. Yeah, I thought maybe it had something to do with all the rain we've had. This no, spring. that has nothing to do with rain whatsoever. The you know, if it was a lichen, then it would definitely re- be related more to the weather. But if you're thinking it's really scale, then it's uh, you know has nothing to do with rain or anything else. Well, the the lichen, and what if it was lichen? And how would I tell the difference? Basically, they're not. I mean, lichen is just, let's say, a type of moss that grows on branches. And if you're seeing this a lot of different places, I still think it's probably just go on L I C H E N. Just mm-hmm. go online, check that out, and see if this is what you're, you're seeing. Oh, that could be. Yeah, that could be what it is. And uh, thank you very much. Sure. I will. I will look further into it. Yeah, because I mean, scale is not going to just explode. It's just not going to happen. There's no way. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, the tree is 13 years old. I'm thinking. Well, is it, is it dying? I know some of the limbs are uh, breaking off and whatnot. But uh, that would just happen on any tree. You know, uh, kind of as it gets past double digits. Yeah. Okay. Well, all right. Well, thank you very much. Certainly. My pleasure. And now let's see. Where should we go? Let's go to Gwen's yard. Hi, Gwen. Hi, Mike. Um, thanks for taking my call. I have a, uh, I planted four limelight hydrangeas. Mm-hmm. Now, when I bought them from the box store, obviously they're all blooming and beautiful. Of course. And they're still shooting out more new blooms. I didn't think they actually bloomed until, I don't know, late summer. Well, basically, you know, any kind of nursery is going to probably, depending upon the nursery, I shouldn't say any nursery, but a lot of times they put steroids in the soil, you know, to make them, to let you know what you're going to get. And this year you may get abundance of flowering and everything else, but you may not again until, you know, the thing really gets established. So that may be like two years after you put it, you know, install it into your landscape. So right now it's just a result of chemicals being added to the soil to make it so it blooms more or less out of sequence for the sales situation. Okay, because I was looking forward to the to the, kind of the fall when it turns the different colors and right. everything, but uh, I may not have that this year. You may, you know, or you may not, but you may not. Probably you're not going to have it next year. That's when the concern, uh, or, you know, the steroids or whatever they've added to the soil to, to cause this to happen will finally be gone and, you know, let's say dissipated. Okay, and what about fertilizer for these? They all, all the hydrangeas, basically like an acid-based fertilizer. So Peter's, okay. you know, any, it doesn't matter what type, just use that. And how often? Uh, probably monthly, but I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't force a lot of any any kind of growth. Maybe once in June, but in the future, start fertilizing them as soon as the foliage starts coming out of the stems in the springtime, and then feed them monthly with the last feeding in June. Perfect. Well, thank you very much, and thank you for your show. Sure. Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's go over to Nancy's yard. Hi, Nancy. 
Hi. Um, I have a piece of property that I'm going to have to sell, and uh, I was wondering if I could dig out a portion of a bridal wreath bush. It's kind of old, and um wanted to know if it's a bad time to do that, bad time of the year. Yes, it is. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, any, anything that you're going to divide, so you're going to ba- basically be ripping up the root system, and, mm-hmm. and then it's going to be facing the heat of the summertime. So if you can wait until we get to, to let's say, at least uh, late August, early September, do the division at that time, you should be fine. But to do a division and then have the plant face, you know, our summertime, which we don't know what it's going to be like, is going to be a mistake. Okay. I have a forsythia bush that did not bloom this year. However, the branches are quite green and flexible. Um, I was just kind of concerned about it. No no leaves or flowers. No leaves? Ooh, uh-huh. it's dead. Okay. All righty. <laughs> Sorry. Time to plant another one. <laughs> right. So. So, okay. you know, whatever, you know, happened to it, who knows. But if there's no foliage, even if, the you know, the stems are still flexible and if you scrape the bark off, it's still green underneath, there's not foliage on it. You know, the flowering doesn't matter all that much, but if there's no foliage, it's gone. I just wondered because we had a couple of cold snaps that got, we got really, we had really hot days and then it just, the temperature dropped off and I thought maybe it affected the bush in that way. It could, so. but it's not going to make it so it doesn't leaf out. Yeah. So, okay. Thank you very much. Yep. And now let's see. Why don't we head out to St. Charles and go into Francis' yard. Hi, Francis. Good morning. Good morning. Um, I have a question about some shrubs that a nursery planted um, um, along the front of our house probably seven, eight years ago. And they're very fine and they've been trimmed every year. and now they're, they've, they've really branched out a lot, and they're about four feet tall. Two of them are on either side of the walkway right at our front porch. And I'd really like to not have them any higher. Is this a bad time of year to trim them, or should I wait until fall? Are these, are these evergreens, or are these plants that lose their leaves? No, they're evergreens. Okay. I, I can't remember the, the, the name. Um, but my my husband normally took care of the shaping and thing of them, but he's no longer here. Um, okay. Basically, uh, you don't want to prune going into summertime. Okay. Even deciduous things, but it's by far worse to prune anything as evergreen going into summertime because you're going to get okay. all kinds of scorch and everything else because the tips have been acclimated to the weather, even though we haven't had you know harsh weather yet as far as related to summer. But when you cut that, you know, cut those tips off. Then you're going to expose, uh, let's say, the the stems or branches or whatever that are left to the intense sun, and you're going to get sunburn all over all over them. Okay. So if you want to get them pruned, you're going to have to do it, uh, let's say, mid to late August, early September, or mid or really probably towards, uh, let's say, mid September to late September. That's when I would do it. Okay. All right. Thank you very much. Right. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We have some lines open back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks, how's your lawn? Got a cool season lawn, the fescues and bluegrasses. Do not fertilize. Do not try to force any kind of, you know, Oh, you don't like how it looks. You don't think it's thick enough. 
fertilizing a cool season lawn, fescue or bluegrass going into the heat of the summertime is the worst thing you could possibly do to it. So you're going to send it downhill really, really quickly. So whether you have bare spots or anything else, you're just going to have to basically kind of live with them. Now, the zoysia, that's a different you know circumstance. You should have had an application of fertilizer in May. Well, there's still May, so I'm going to put my first application on my zoysia today after the show, after my Marlo, Marlboro appointment, and then uh, uh, every month all the way through the summertime. So warm season versus cool season as far as fertilizing goes. If you have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. And now let's head to Pit- Pittsfield, Illinois, and going to Ann's yard. Hi, Ann. Hi, Mike. Hi. Um, I hope you can give me an answer here. Uh, there's some beautiful red peonies that were near a house that's going to be torn down. Ooh. So we had to to dig them up. Right. And I know that this is not the right time to do that, but how do I treat them? We got a lot of the soil along with them. Some of it, of course, fell off <laughs> <laughs> in the moving. But... Um, how do I, how do I treat them being moved? How how large is the let's say the root mass? Oh, I don't know. It was like um, size of a maybe, basketball. Not on the bottom. We didn't get that much on the bottom. Okay, that's where a lot of it fell off. Right. So. Um, the reason why I'm asking is, do you have any like nurse black plastic nursery pots? You can just put them in a black plastic nursery pot and just help help them acclimate and then stick them in the ground. That's the reason why I'm saying that is because it's a little, little easier to care for them while they're in the pot versus in the ground, unless you just want to dedicate yourself to them. And then you could just go, I would just get them in the ground as soon as possible if you don't have you know nursery pots that you can plant them in for another couple months. Well, I really don't. Okay. Uh, actually, they're in the ground now. Okay, in a sunny location, I hope. Uh-huh, full okay. sun. And highly organic. They want a really well-drained soil with lots of you know organic content to them. So, in other words, lots of compost in the ground. Okay. I don't have that. But okay. they, they're in, on a berm. So the, the ground is, you know, the berm is higher than the ground around it. Right. And so. sloped. So and I think ho- the drainage will be fine. But Okay. And you didn't plant them too deep. So, in other words, the eye of the peony, those little, let's say, little eyes that stick up needs to be only about one inch deep. If you put them any deeper, then you could really mess up the flowering cycle and realize for probably the first couple of years, you're probably not going to get any flowers off of them anyway. Mm-hmm. Well, I went ahead and cut the flowers off. I right. didn't cut any of the foliage off. That's fine. That's perfect. They're, they're the most beautiful red uh, fragrant. I've never seen a peony that has this much fragrance to wow. them. Wow. Great. Well, good uh, fine. So anyway, and then we had some, um, I think they're called tubers, aren't they? The root, the root system. Right. Well, whatever. Yes. Yeah. Well, some of that fell off or was cut in the, in the process. Mm-hmm. They were very deep in the ground. Um, but I went ahead and put that back in the ground, too, when we planted them. That's fine. That's fine. Okay. And they, they divided up into three different clumps just in handling them. So uh, that's 
what we did with them, but I just I didn't know just how much to keep watering them. I uh, just they want to just down. You don't want them to go through a drought stress, and but don't definitely they're on a berm which will help some. Hopefully the berm is not just you know some kind of sub you know subsoil from a construction site or something. So it's really well drained, and uh, just you know every just every week or so if you don't have any rain, just go out there and water. So just let them wilt down then. Yeah. I mean, you're not oh. going to prevent the wilting because if you tr- if you try to prevent the wilting, they're wilting because they don't have an established root system. So mm-hmm. if you water them too much, you what you're doing is you might create a circumstance like if they were cut and in a let's say a vase, and you don't want to do that. You if they have to wilt down, let them wilt some, but don't overwater them. That's going to be the worst thing you could possibly do. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Any fertilizer or anything? No. Does it help? No. No. Just the organic matter. Right. Okay. All right. I'll try to get that done then. All right. Good luck. All right. Thank you. Sure. Let's head over to Sherry's yard. Hi, Sherry. Hi there. Hi. Um, Two questions. First one is I have three perennials that are the workhorses of the flower bed that I need to divide Larope, Puchira, and Hosta. Is this a bad time to divide those? Yes. Okay. Dividing anything going into summertime is the worst thing you can possibly do. Okay. So wait till September. All right, we'll do. Second question. Um, I'm new to knockout roses. This is my first rodeo. What is the best fertilizer for those when it's time to fertilize? And when is the best time to fertilize? You should fertilize them just as the foliage is coming out in the springtime, about half label rate. Fertilize them again once the first flush is done. So, in other words, when it finishes flowering, doesn't have to mean all the flowers are finished, but for the, for the most part, you fertilize them. Then you fertilize them again when they flower, and the you know the flowers start you know let's say dropping petals or whatever, and so okay. and you want to use rose food to make sure that you're going to get uh, the best nutrients for the roses. Okay, all right, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's go to Dixie, and that's in South County. Hi, Dixie. Good morning, Mike. Hi. Uh, I have a question about my Brunera Jack Frost. It, um, you know, had beautiful little blue blooms on it mm-hmm. this year. And now that the blooms are gone, should I cut back that big seedy stalk? The, you mean that that actually had the flowers on it? Right. Yeah, cut that off. Okay. Do I cut off just the seeded part or all the little green leaves that continue down that stem? Those green leaves are not going to do anything. Basically, it's just, you know, sort of a a genetic production type thing. So, yeah, just cut it off because it's not going to, you know, it's just going to basically wilt and turn into, let's say, ugliness. Okay, Okay, yeah, it's pretty ugly right now. (laughs) Can I divide that thing uh, this fall? Uh, How long has it been in the ground? About two years. I would say let it go for another year before you divide it. The Bronneras are really nice. I mean, they have great foliage and everything else. Oh, this one's gorgeous. Right. Um, but I can't get one started in the front. The back's fine, but the one in the front keeps dying, and it's the one in the shade. <laughs> mm, that's kind of odd. But is it I know. in the shade of a tree? Um, 
The trees are out in the yard, yes, the okay. shade of a tree. So, so uh, in other words, the tree probably root system's impacting the bronera. Oh, I never thought about that. Okay. Well, is there anything that I can get to shade that Brunera here in the backyard? It gets a little bit too much sun in July and August and gets too hot. I think they call them umbrellas. Oh, <laughs> okay. No, I mean, you could, got those. You know, this, uh, it's a little bit late, but I mean, you could plant some like summer type bulbs around them. So in other words, like cannas or elephant ears or something like that, not too close to them. But as they, you know, as the Brunner oh, is right. finish, finishing, you know, fl- growing as far as flowering uh-huh. and everything, these guys will provide the shade in the, later in the summertime. I never thought about that. Thank you so much. Sure. Okay, Matt. Thank you, Mike. Love your program. All right. Well, thanks. Mike All right, Miller, goodbye. Hey, M. Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, Mike Miller on KMOX. Let's go over to Pam's yard and see what's going on. Hi, Pam. Hi. Um, I have a couple questions. We had, we moved into a house a couple years ago, and I don't know what kind of grass this is, but it's really um, sparse and kind of scraggly, and we've got a lot of weeds popping up. And we don't want to use, like, herbicides or anything like that. We'd rather stay organic or natural. And but we need to build up the grass and get rid of these weeds and wondered what we could do. This time of year basically nothing. Uh really? Yep. You should have done it earlier. But what uh, you what you could do, since you've got a terrible lawn anyway, is you know, get a lawn service come out and put have them core aerate and then after they core aerate, then you should put like an inch or not an inch, a half inch of compost. And that will fall oh. down into the holes of the core aeration. So in other words, you're going to start building up your soil. Because you can do all this work and everything else. But if you don't have a good, healthy soil, then uh-huh. you could seed sod and you're not going to you're going to end up back right where you are two years later. Ah, so okay. core, you can so- core aerate this time of year. Normally, I would not recommend doing it this time of year, but since your yard is just terrible anyway, I'd go ahead and do it. Okay, and then about a half inch of compost. Right. So, in other words, that's going to fall down in the holes that were left over. The core aeration will actually take, like, wine bottle cork-sized things out of the ground. Okay. Okay. And um, that's great. And then the other question I have is there's some beautiful peonies that um, are here as well. And I've never had peonies, so um, of course they felt they all fell over. I didn't know to support them, um, and they're all kind of just lying there now. <laughs> Can I cut those back, or yes, um, just what? Cut, yeah, just cut the foliage off. I mean, not cut the foliage, just cut the flowers off. Leave the foliage there, and then in okay. sept- and then in September when the foliage starts turning, let's say brownish, cut it off at ground level. Ground level. Right. Okay, that's what we didn't do last year. So, so just but just the flowers don't right. go any farther down right now. Right, exactly. Because you want the leaves to stay on as long as they possibly can to build up the roots for next year. Okay, and then in September, cut to ground level. Right. Perfect. Great. Okay, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Sure. Let's go down to okay. Fenton and into Jim's yard. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hi. 
Hi, Mike. Listen, I have a Cherokee Princess flowering dogwood planted mm. in my front yard, mm-hmm. and it's been in the ground about a month, and I have been advised to water it once a week, and I don't know whether that's enough or not, because it gets kind of droopy looking between waterings. The droopiness is, you know, regardless of how, if you put enough water that would stop the droopiness, you'd be killing it because it would drown the root system. So the drooping is just going to happen. You know, an inch or so of water once once every seven to ten days should be adequate. You just you're more worried about what's going on underneath the ground than above the ground. So the wilting of the leaves, you know, that's and it's going to probably be a little bit more dramatic and everything else. That's not too much you can do about that. You can't water enough to prevent that from something that's been newly installed. I see. So your advice is what? Uh, just, you know, basically an inch of water, and hopefully it was planted correctly, three times the diameter of the root ball, which mm-hmm. is how, and, uh, you know, with the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground, and sure. that's about all you need to do is just, you know, make sure that it gets pretty good water once a week or once every 10 days. I'd probably not do it once a week. Okay, well, thank you very much. Sure. Mm-hmm. Bye now. And let's go over to Terry's yard now. Hi, Terry. Hey, good morning, Mike. Hi. Hey, I've got a couple. I've got a couple things. Uh, I've got a pine tree in the back, about 20 plus years old. That uh, this past winter, it started running sap down the trunk, and then this year or the, this spring, my other uh, white pine trees that I have are setting their new pine cones. Well, this one doesn't have any. Uh, the, the sap flow is probably from sap suckers from birds. It's not anything to worry about. The you know the the trees are not necessarily going to produce pine cones every year, so it's just out of sequence with this particular tree. So it has nothing okay. to do with the sap flow or anything else. Great. And then I have a maple. Um, I don't know what kind of maple it is, but it's a beautiful one, about twenty years old. And I had three branches on one side. Not, I mean they're decent sized branches. Uh, one of them never leafed out, and then two of them. Uh, the leaves just wilted and died. Uh, And that's the one that's closest to the house, though it's not up against the house, but it did surprise me. Yeah. Any ideas? Uh, It's hard to say, but it's, you know, I wouldn't be overly concerned with it, especially if it's close to the house. It may, you know, are they high up in the tree or are they lower branches? They are the lower branches, but they're probably 10, 15 feet off the ground. Yeah, but I, I think it's just, you know, the fact of it's in between the tree trunk and the house, and they just didn't get adequate light, so that's why they shut themselves off. Yeah, it's kind of the, what I was thinking, that right. or didn't get it's not enough airflow. Right. Okay, and uh, do you think they could come back possibly? Uh, probably not. Okay. So, But if you, do, if you do cut them off... And their longer branches cut them off in one third of you know sections. With the final cut, just leave a stub of about a quarter inch. Yeah, right. Okay. Good enough. Hey, thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. And uh, let's see, Margo, if you can do it very fast. Yeah, I can. Um, I've got a Mike. I've got a uh, Don Redwood that's about twenty years old, oh. and it's about. Uh, 
30 feet tall, but it is very slow at leafing out this year. Probably maybe not even a third of it has leafed out. So, And I know dawn redwoods are pretty resistant to diseases and stuff. So right. I, do you have any idea why this would be happening? Uh, it's probably weather-related more so than anything. They are the, okay. one of the first, one of the last conifers to push out new growth. I mean, they're like bald cypress. They, they're conifers. They have needles. But they push them out, uh, you know, they lose them every year. So I think it's just, uh, you know, it's a weather-related type thing. Because it's been kind of cool and wet right now? Right, exactly. Okay, so give it some time and see what what happens with it. Right. You know, if if it's problematic as far as how it looks and everything else, when we get into September, so in other words, you've had the full summertime and everything else, then I'd probably have a tree service come out and take a look at it. But I I wouldn't be overly concerned at this particular time. Okay, perfect. That's what my husband said, but I thought I'd get, get an expert's opinion. Thanks so much. <laughs> sure, my pleasure. And sorry, Karen, Jim, and Greg, we're not going to get a chance to get you in today. But uh, for everybody, just make sure that you're mowing your lawn. But like with the cool season, the bluegrasses and fescues, don't cut just because you think you have to cut it every week. That's not the case. Only mow when you need to mow. So in other words, and so you're going to have clippings of about an inch or so. So with the cool season lawns, you want to keep them about three to three and a half inches. The warm season lawn, like zoysia, you want to keep it at about three inches or so. So just realize that mowing is not necessarily necessary if you don't have anything to mow. And the con, you know, walking on it could cause problems. So Mike Miller, KMWash Garden Hotline. I will see you next week. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.